Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? And we're looking from the Gospels today. We're starting, and we're going to be concentrating on the Gospel of John, but I'm going to just cover a short <coughs> introduction of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <coughs> Three of the Gospels get genealogy of Jesus. Matthew, Luke, and John. In the book of Matthew, what Matthew does, who's a Levite, he traces the genealogy of Jesus back to Abraham, to David, and then to Abraham. He does that to demonstrate to the Jewish people, Jesus is your Messiah. And not only does he do that, the miracles that he talks about are very specific to Jewish people. It talks about the lepers being cleansed. And so in the book of Matthew, as we go through it, Matthew covers what Jesus taught the people. We get this Sermon on the Mount. We get the words that Jesus speaks to the Jewish people, very specifically to the Jewish people. The Sermon on the Mount is specifically to Jewish people. And then we come to Mark. Well, Mark doesn't give you any genealogy because in the scriptures, Mark is portrayed as a servant. And of course, being a servant, nobody's interested in the genealogy of a servant. But in Mark, the things that are <coughs> miracles are directed towards the Romans, just like Luke is directed towards the Greeks. And the miracles that he talks about are the casting out of devils, people getting delivered. And so we come to Luke, and Luke, the, the Gospel of Luke, is the Gospel about the Son of Man. And it's the Son of Man, and he gets the bloodline of Jesus right away back to Adam, to show that Jesus is the Son of Man. And of course, and John, when we come to John, John says in John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John takes the genealogy of Jesus, and he takes him away back to eternity. So Matthew is doing the genealogy to, to demonstrate Jesus is your Messiah. He is the coming King. And one of the things which you know if you read about prophecy, the Jewish people have to be in Jerusalem for Jesus to return. Yeah. And so, as I said, Matthew is what Jesus taught. Mark is all about what Jesus did. All the healings, all the miracles. Luke covers what Jesus felt as the Son of Man. And then when we come to John, John tells us who Jesus was. So in the Gospels here, and even the miracles in John, the turning of water into wine, Jesus' power over nature. John is the only place where we get Jesus, the only place where Jesus prays to the Father. And so when we come to the Gospels, we have what Jesus taught, what Jesus did, 
what he felt and who he was. Matthew ends with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mark ends with the ascension of Jesus Christ. Luke ends with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And of course, being the promise of the Holy Spirit, Luke gives us the bridge because it's Luke who writes the book of Acts and tells us about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given. John ends with the promise of the second coming. And because of that, he brings, he gives the bridge to the book of Revelation, which tells us all the things that are going to happen in the end days. So we open up with John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, what you sang. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So John opens up the Gospel, and he says, in the beginning. And of course that reminds us of the very beginning of the book of Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning. And when the Bible opens up, it doesn't leave anybody in any doubt. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. If you're an atheist, the Bible says you're a fool. If you have seven other gods, the Bible says there's one God. If you have all your philosophies, that one verse, in these few words in the beginning of Genesis obliterates everything. Because right up front, it says, in the beginning, God. And when you come to John, it says, in the beginning was the Word. So in the beginning is before time began. In the beginning is pre-existent to time. In the beginning, angels were not there. In the beginning, man was not there. In the beginning, even when you have some religions who looked for Mary, Mother of God, Mary wasn't there. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word is the second member of the Godhead. Romans 1.20 says, For the invisible signs of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the signs that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. The invisible signs of creation help us <coughs> are clearly seen for what we have in creation. Now in the book of Malachi, you have a scripture which says, the son of righteousness. And if you look at that verse of scripture, it's not spelled son, S-O-N, but it's spelled S-U-N, as in the sun in the sky. What happens with the sun? The sun gets light. You see the light. The sun gets heat. You feel the heat, but you don't see it. The sun gives atomic rays. You don't see them and you don't feel them. And so the Bible tells us the invisible signs of him from the creation of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, 
Even his eternal power and Godhead. And that's why in 1 John 5, 7, it goes on to say, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So in eternity, the term Word was used to describe Jesus Christ instead of Son. However, we know in Matthew 28, 19, that the command was to go and baptize everyone in the name of the Father, or in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. So the question comes up, why do we have the Word as part of the Godhead? Why do we have the Word as part of the Godhead? See, God's communication to His creation is through the Word. God spoke the Word. And the Bible tells us He brought things into existence. The Bible tells us in Revelation 1.8, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. So Alpha and Omega is the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So God communicates words. And if you look to 1 Corinthians 2, 11, 14, which I'll be on the screen, you can read those. But so God communicates to us by words. And that's why John, he comes and he says in verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word dwelt amongst us. The Bible says the Word tabernacled amongst us. And that would have given the Jewish people a reference back to the wilderness where they had the tabernacle and God was in their midst. And God was there day and night, day and night. He would dwell amongst his people. And so, here in John, the Bible says, the Word became flesh. He dwelt amongst us, he tabernacled amongst us. He said, and we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. So the Christian faith is based on eyewitness accounts. The disciples beheld his glory. After his resurrection, People beheld his glory. Doubting Thomas beheld his glory. The Bible tells us at one time 500 people were gathered together when Jesus was ascending. They saw him. And so Christian faith is based on eyewitness accounts of what they saw and what they were taught by Jesus. And when God created everything, it was done by words. He spoke the word. Earth's thoughts are framed by words. John 6, 63 says, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So Jesus is saying, when he became flesh and walked amongst us, that the words that he was given us, that they were spirit. Because the Bible tells us God is a spirit. And we must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the Bible says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so John 1, 1, 1, 2 again, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The word was God. We're getting a revelation that the word in eternity is revealed to us now by the Son. 
with God. So he had a distinct personality. And John 1, 3 says, And all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So here we have the relationship of God to the universe. All things were made by him. Everything that we see, everything that is unseen, the Bible tells us God made them all. And so John, in these verses, is declaring Jesus' deity. He's declaring the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul does the same thing when we go back, when we go to Colossians 1.16. For Paul says, For by him were all things created, that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. That means principalities, powers and dominions. Things which are invisible were all created by Jesus Christ. Whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him and for him. So God created all of these things for his own purposes. Now Isaiah 9.6 talks about unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. The son is given from heaven the child is born in Bethlehem. But look what it says. He is called the mighty God. He is called the mighty God. The one who is going to be born is going to be the mighty God. And it's not only the mighty God, but when we go to Micah 5, 2, Micah says, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So the one who's going to be born, the word in the beginning, who's now going to be born and made flesh, and be called Jesus is a mighty God and he is from everlasting. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is from old. And so the scripture then goes on to say in verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the life of men. So in Christ there is life. And that life that comes from Christ gives us eternal life. The life of God is revealed to us through Jesus. And the verse 6, it goes on, Jesus said unto him, I am, John 14 said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is the light that shall come into the world to show the path for every man, and he said, in me is life. Mm. You want your life? It's me. Life is not the religion. Life is not in all your sacraments, all, your, all the things that you do to penance. Life is found in a man called Jesus Christ. It is a personal relationship that you must have with that man to have life. You can follow any religion, whether it's even Christianity, and follow all the do's and don'ts, what you think people have, but life comes from Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives life. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so this is a relationship to man. The creation is a relationship to heaven in the universe, but to hear the light and the light is the relationship to man. And it says, I am, and John 8, I am the light of the world. So I'm the light. You follow me, you will not walk in darkness. But you will have the light of life. So Jesus is making that statement. I am the light. Follow me and you will not be in darkness. 
and you will have the light. So it follows, if we are going to follow Jesus, that we're not going to be in darkness. And so we have the contrast between light and darkness. And this light can be demonstrated from Scripture. Christianity is based on eyewitnesses' accounts and the Word of God. But Christianity can also be demonstrated in every person's life. For Psalms 34.8 Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So what we have is we scripture here is telling us you do not blindly need to follow Jesus. He gives you a litmus test. Taste and see. Taste and see. Taste and see. And John 1 5 goes on again. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended what? The darkness cannot overcome the light. God's light drives back the darkness. And in Psalm 36 9 says, For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. In thy light we shall see light. So how do you get light? Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. See, the word of God brings light to you. The word of God brings transformation to you. The word of God is the light that shines on our path so we know the path that we're on. <clears throat> and John says that one night, that was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. Jesus Christ is the true light that lights every path. An invitation is there to everyone to come and taste and see that the Lord is good and that the Word of God is living and alive and that you can know the Saviour. But the Word of God also gives a warning. In John 3, 19, 20 it says, and this is a condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest deeds be reproved. And so the scripture is very upfront. Not everybody likes the light. Many things take place in this world behind closed doors. Many things take place in this world, and it's hidden, it's in the darkness, and people connive, and they plan, but the Bible says, this is the condemnation, light has come into the world, but people don't like the light. People don't like that light to shine upon their life, because they don't like the sin to be, to be revealed, they don't like their condition to be revealed. They don't like to see how they stand before the Holy God. And so they reject the light. They don't want the light. They want to hold on to the things that they have in darkness. But the Bible tells us in Acts 17, 31, it's a foolish place to be 
because there's appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, that's Jesus Christ, whom he had ordained, whereof he had given assurance unto all men in that he had raised him from the dead. So God, by raising Jesus from the dead, is telling you, pay attention to this work. Because the one who has been raised from the dead, who is the light of the world, is the one who is going to judge every man. And so, we are told in Hebrews, that in these last days, God spoke by his Son. God's, as all the Gospels are the words and the teaching of Jesus Christ. And we come to John 1.12. And John 1.12 is the invitation. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So when we receive Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Lord, he gives us power to become. He gives us power to become what we could never be on our own strength. Power to become what we could never do in all our abilities. Become a child of God, a son and daughter of the living God. And the scriptures are going to tell you there, and we go down, it's not born of man or flesh, but it's born by the will of God. Born by the will of God. So as many as received him, he gives us power. And this is the great thing about the gospel, because the gospel is the is words, which are the living words of the living God, to bring you into the light and to bring transformation to your life. And that transformation comes because you know whom you believe and you walk with the word of God as a light to your feet. Eternal life is given by Jesus Christ. The Bible says there is salvation in no other name than Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that when we get saved, it's nothing to do with the works that we have done. It's everything to do with God's love for us. Because what he said is, come, follow me. Have you ever looked at the Gospels when Jesus walked along they saw the disciples. He never gave them a big lesson in theology. He just said, come, follow me. And the ones who follow Jesus is the ones that you read about. The ones that you weren't interested but wanted to remain in darkness, you don't read about them. So Jesus has said, come, follow me. The invitation he gives to every man, to every woman, every person born into this world. Jesus says, come, follow me. And Jesus reveals the glory of God, the power of God, and Jesus attests to the existence of God. But one thing can't reveal <coughs> God's character, and that's creation. Creation cannot reveal God's character. Nature, the Bible says, is under a curse. Because when sin came in, a curse came upon nature. It is corrupt. But the redemption that God brings includes restoring nature. And restoring all things back to a condition before Adam's sin. 
So why is this important? Well, for you people who may be into some of the other realms of study, I've come across what they call as entropies. And I'm just going to give you a quote for what you can get if you just go on the internet. It says, entropy is a scientific concept that is most commonly associated with a state of disorder, randomness, or uncertainty. <clears throat> the term and the concept are used in diverse fields, from classical thermodynamics, where it was first recognized, to the microscopic description of nature, to statistical physics, and to the principles of information theory, and if you continue reading, it will come up and give you more and more things. The light that has come into this world gives life. It is the only thing that gives life. The life of Jesus Christ and the light that comes into this world reverses the law of entropy. The light that's come into this world changes everything. Because the law of entropy is order to chaos. The life of Christ is a life from chaos to order. God brings your life into order. God brings your life into order and into alignment with his word. God restores you. And the Bible tells us he's going to restore nature. The life of Christ is the inverse of entropy. He has come to restore order. He has come to restore everything that has been corrupted. Because in him is life. And that life comes from the Son of God to us. It is a free gift. And so when we come to the end of the book of John, from John chapter 20 and verse 31, he gives us conclusions. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing that you might have life through his name. So John sums up his gospel because John's gospel is very particular in the seven healings and miracles that take place, demonstrating God's power over nature and over so many different things. But he sums it up by saying, these things are written. They're written for your benefit that you might know that Jesus is the light of the world. These things are written that you will come to that light and experience that light for yourself. And that you will experience the one who in eternity was called the Word, but is now revealed to us as Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He said, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. So Jesus is the Son of God from eternity into time. And he comes and he's saying, you can have life through my name. You can have life. You can have eternal life. You can have life because I am the light of the world. And I am the only one who can restore and make whole that which is broken. I'm the only one who can deal with the sin and the corruption. I'm the only one who can make all things new. 
I am the only one. And so John presents Jesus and he comes this conclusion. I've written these things that you might believe. That you might know for sure. That you might be certain. That you no longer be in doubt that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then knowing him, then you experience his goodness, his love, his compassion, his salvation, and you discover how much God loves you. It is the love of God that took Christ from the glories of heaven to be constrained to a body of flesh. But he was the light of the world who walked amongst us so that we might have life. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that we come to celebrate this season. It is the light of the world who was born in Bethlehem. The one who was born is the one who comes from eternity to reveal the Father as he speaks the words for us to understand. He communicates with us by words. He shows us the love of the Father. He shows us the way of truth, the way of salvation, the way of restoration, the way of healing, so that we might have life. And so today, Father, we just pray that that life that is offered by Jesus, many will come to find and discover that tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and will come to him. Amen. Amen.